morning, everyone. And uh, as Jeff said, really looking forward to uh, this afternoon. And uh, just a few things. Uh, you'll Something that will happen today, this afternoon, for those who are going to be there, is you will most likely see people you've never seen before. Uh, here with multiple services um, on a Sunday morning, there are people that come, are a part of Hope Church that because you come to one service and they come to the other service, you've maybe never met, you've never seen. And uh, our tendency is to stay close or gravitate towards those we know and those we talk to, those maybe we sit near here on Sunday morning or those we've been in a small group with or uh, we know. But here's what I want to encourage you uh, today, that as you're at Beulah Beach and you're maybe waiting in line for the 10th time as your child wants to go down the zip line, uh, or you're waiting, you're down at the beach, or you're involved in an activity, and there's people around you that you maybe don't know, that you would take the time to introduce yourself and talk to them. This is really a, a, a very unique opportunity for us as a church. We, we don't get to all be together in one place often. Um, so this is really a unique opportunity. So we would just encourage you to, to take advantage of the opportunity to being at Beulah and there and getting to know some people. And, and as Jeff said, if you can't, uh, if you weren't signed up, there's space, come on up. If you just can get there for dinner and the baptism at six, we'd love to have you. We have several being baptized, adults, some students, some children being baptized tonight. So uh, the weather's going to be awesome. Um, so we're looking forward to that. And just want to let you, something we added, or something that's on the schedule for the picnic uh, this year is at three o'clock, we have some organized uh, competition. And uh, if you're kind of competitive and you want to get those juices out, so to speak, uh, we have some organized basketball games across the street on some basketball courts, and then we have some, a wiffle ball game. And uh, so we'd love for you to come. Wiffle ball, probably all ages can play, old and young. Uh, basketball, probably high school and older, middle school and older. It's going to be, you know, organized games. Uh, and if you're over 30, I encourage you to take ibuprofen uh, before you do any of that. I know I will be preempting the pain. Um, so encourage you to be there. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles uh, to Mark, as you can see, Mark chapter 6. Uh, we're in the middle of Mark chapter 6. I do want to say a word of welcome to those who are here today, and this is your very first time at Hope Church. Um, maybe, honestly, it's your first time in a church service. Maybe it's your first time in a church service in a very long time. And, and we, do, we say this often here, and we really mean it, that wherever you are at on your spiritual journey, whether you're exploring faith, uh, kind of re-exploring faith, you're familiar with God and the Bible and what it means to follow Jesus, we are glad uh, that you're here. And, and we're in this, on this journey. We've been on this journey for a number of months now, uh, going through what's known as the Gospel of Mark. And what we're trying with the Spirit of God's help is to learn about the life of Jesus, to watch how he lived, and that the Son of God actually walked on this earth, lived on this earth, and provides, uh, I believe, a model. He provides a lot of things for us, and I believe one of the things is he provides a model. What does it look like for you and I today? Obviously, we live in a different context and time and place, but, but a lot of similarities. And what does it look like to learn from the life of Jesus? So we're trying with the Spirit's help to learn as much as we can from the life of Jesus. And today we find ourselves in Mark chapter 6, an interesting chapter, uh, to say the least. And I want us, to, before we get to Mark chapter 6, to, to think about one of the greatest days in the life of a teenager. And it's the day you get your license. It's probably not the greatest day in their parents' life or mom or dad's life. Uh, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But, but it's the, I, I, maybe for some of us it was an easy process. 
you went through driver's ed, you passed the test, and, and you walked out. Uh, with some of us, it was a challenge, multiple maybe times trying to pass the test. And, but eventually, you walked out of the BMV with that little card that had your picture on it and, and inf- contact information on it, and you got to drive. I still remember the day I got my license, the way uh, in my community, the driver's ed instructors at the, the school you went to actually took you to your driver's test. They took you on a final ro- drive-through before you took your test. And so I went with my driver's school instructors uh, to my uh, driving exam, and I, and I drove that day through my city, and I passed and walked out of the BMV that day with my license. And I still remember the day I, I, my driver's ed instructor dropped me off at home, and I walked up uh, my driveway and, and into the house, and there was a note uh, with a set of keys on the dining room table. And my dad said to me in the note, he wrote the note, he said, uh, I had a sense you were going to do well today. I took the time this morning to get your car registered and insured. It's ready to go. It's full of gas. Enjoy. And I still remember that day like it was yesterday when I, for the first time, picked up the keys and I climbed into my beautiful 1998 brown Cutlass Sierra. The driver's door didn't open, but I didn't care that it didn't open. And I climbed in through the passenger seat, and I put that, those keys in the ignition, I started that thing up, and I turned on the radio, and the radio, when you turned it up a little bit, I had this high-pitched squeal, but I didn't care because it was my car, and I could drive. And, and I pulled out of the driveway that day, and, and I pulled out of the driveway. Maybe you experienced, I don't know uh, if you did, but I pulled out of the driveway that day with two distinct emotions running through my body. Sheer excitement that I'm all alone in the car, and I can go wherever I want to go. I can drive to wherever I want to drive right now. I don't have to have someone with me. There was sheer excitement with the freedom that that brings, that license, the little card with your picture on it. But at the very same time, there was sheer terror that I was the only one in the car. In the street I grew up on, you could go about 50, 55 miles an hour down uh, the street. And when I pulled out onto that road, I think I was going like 25. Uh, I mean, I was scared to death just gripping that wheel. I'd been handed the keys to the car. And those two distinct emotions filled my body. Today, as we look at Mark chapter 6, I believe Jesus' disciples, those who, had, who are and have been following him and living with him and watching him and learning from him and just, just seeing some miraculous things take place. In a way, I believe in Mark chapter 6, they've been handed the keys to the car. They've been, they've been given the opportunity to drive the car alone. And obviously, it's not, I'm not talking about a physical car, but what I'm talking about here in Mark chapter 6 is that they've been given the opportunity to, to, to do what they saw Jesus doing, to, to step out and try the things and do the things and speak and pray for people the way they had seen Jesus do it. We, we talked about this. George preached on this passage last week, these verses last week. Mark chapter 6, verse 12, it says this, they went out. This is they, they being the disciples, the, the 12, the, those who have been following Jesus called, those who have been following him. They went out and they preached. They had seen Jesus preach, but now they're preaching. 
They preach that people should repent. Repentance is not just, it's not just turning from bad behavior, although that is what it is. It's also, repentance is bigger than that. It's this total change of how we think and how we look at life and how we look at God. It's a, it's a whole new way to live that's contrary to the way I was maybe taught or raised or what the culture I was raised in told me. Repentance is a complete turning to a whole new way of living, not just from a, a few bad behaviors, well, that's a part of it. And, and the disciples, along with Jesus, have been calling people to this whole new way of living in, in, in light of the kingdom of God being here. What does it mean to live in light of the kingdom of God? That's what they're preaching. And it says they drove out many demons, not just one or two, but many demons, the people who were oppressed or possessed or controlled by demonic influence in their life. They, they pray, and these demons, as they watch Jesus set some people free from demonic oppression and possession in their lives, they, they pray for people, and they're set free. And not only praying for those who are, who are uh, in bondage, but it says they anointed, they, they put oil on many sick people with oil, and they healed them. They've been given the keys, so to speak, and said, your turn. You've watched me do it. Jesus, in a way, is saying, you've watched me do this. And now it's your turn to jump into the deep end and try these things. And he's not with them. He sends them out. We, we read earlier in Mark chapter 6. He sends them out in pairs, two, two by two. They, so six groups are scattered across this, this part of the Galilee region. They're around the Sea of Galilee, and they go out from town to town and town, and they're preaching, and they're praying for people, and, and amazing things happen. And I'm sure just like my, uh, my, those emotions that came into my body that day when I pulled out of my, uh, the driveway of my house, I'm sure that with the disciples there was excitement, like, we get to do this now. And I'm sure at the same time there was sheer terror. <laughs> Wait a minute, you're not going to be with us? <laughs> You can't try out, like, what if we get into a problem? What if it's hot? What if it's difficult? What if they don't believe? You're not going to, like, if we don't have questions, what do we do? So I'm sure there was these emotions, and, and it's amazing what takes place. In verse 14, it says this. King Herod, and we'll come back to talking about who he is. King Herod heard about this. What's the this? The this, I believe, is what we just read. That as the disciples are going out and they're preaching and there's a response, people are uh, surrendering, they're repenting, they're turning, say, I want to live in light of the kingdom. And, and they're being set free and they're being healed. Their legs are working and arms are working, eyes are being opened to see and uh, all these things are happening. King Herod heard about this. In this culture and in this community, word spread quickly. Um, it was hard to keep something silent. And I believe word is spreading throughout this region. It was spreading already when Jesus was doing these things. And he'll continue to do these things. But now that these disciples have gone out, word continues to spread. And it not just spreads within the towns, but it reaches the highest levels of leadership. King Herod heard about this. He hears what's happening. He hears about the people who, who are being set free from demonic oppression. He hears about the, the sick that are being made well. And he, it rises all the way up. So somehow, somehow pe word gets to people that report to him. And then he, they report to him. And they begin to tell him, this leader, this king in this region, about what's happening. And it's interesting what he says. King Herod heard about this. For Jesus' name 
had become well known. And we'll read the rest of those verses in a moment. But it's interesting. It says Jesus' name had become well known. The emphasis here isn't on Peter, James, and John and the other disciples' names becoming well known. Man, did you hear what John did in, in Nazareth? Did you hear what John did in Capernaum? No, it's Jesus' name. What's in a name? What does it mean when it says Jesus' name? It means his character. It means his nature. It means his essence. It, 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 a name, Jesus' name is who he is. So, so as these people, as these disciples are praying and preaching and amazing things are happening, people are saying there's something about these guys and the, God, the, the person they're following because there's no way they could be doing these things. Many of them grew up in this area. And they're like, there's no way. And I'm sure there was conversations. How are you able to do these things? And I, and I believe they probably would have said something, it's not us. But we were given authority from one greater than us to do these things. And behind the miracles, behind the, repent, the call for repentance, behind the deliverance, behind the healings, is the character of God. And people in this region, all the way up to the highest level of leadership in that region, hears about the name of Jesus through these men. Through these men. Jesus' name, it says, had become well known. This is the first time, at least in Mark, this is the first time that Jesus isn't doing these things. He's not, doing, he's not the one preaching. He's not the one setting people free. He's not the one healing, putting his hands on people and, and they're well. But Jesus' disciples are doing it. And we, we see here that ordinary people have been entrusted, are entrusted with the message and mission of the kingdom of God. Can we just pause for a moment and think how crazy this is? Like, we, if you've been in church um, for any length of time, we can, we can take for granted that you and I, as his followers, as Jesus' the disciples, a number of years later, obviously, but, but his followers, those who are trying to learn about his life, that we have been invited into what God is doing in this world to, to share the message and the mission of the kingdom of God. We've been invited into it. To think about how crazy this is. This is one of the most important messages there ever is about the character, the nature, the love of God. That, that word, that message would get out to the world. That's a pretty important message to communicate. You, you would think God might say, you know what, I'll kind of do it. I'll take it. I'll do it. It might go better if I do it. And I think we would all admit that. It probably would go a lot better if God just did. God, you just take it. You do it. But it's amazing. Even here before Jesus will eventually physically leave his disciples and return to the Father, here, while he's still on the earth, he says, I want to get you ready because there is coming a day where I'm not going to be here. And it's going to be, I'm going to pass the baton to you. Ordinary people have been entrusted 
with the message and the mission of the kingdom of God. Think about, we, based on how Mark has, has recorded his gospel, we know a little bit about who these people are. We, we know there's a tax collector, not a trained theologian, not a Bible teacher, a tax collector. That's what he has done for his entire life. And now he's preaching and he's anointing the sick and he's setting people free from demonic. He's never dealt with demons. He dealt with ledgers and money. And we also have a group of fishermen. They throw their nets in the water. They pull them in. They clean the fish. They sell the fish. They clean their boats. It's been in their family for business for years, probably. That's what they've done day in and day out. And now they are preaching. And now they're speaking about the things of God. And now they're anointing the sick. And now they're seeing people set free. Ordinary might add to that untrained. We might add to that unqualified people have been entrusted with this message to communicate about the character, the nature, the essence of God and his, how God views mankind, what God has done to rescue and save mankind. That his kingdom is here and you can experience it today. Ordinary people are entrusted with this message. And it's amazing to me they were willing to put their faith in the practice. They just didn't sit back and say, well, we believe these things. But they were, and I'm sure it, the first few times, maybe every time, I don't know, but the first few at least that Peter and John and uh, James stood before people, there was a crowd gathered, I'm sure their knees were knocking against each other. Like, Jesus, you sure this is the best idea? As, as a person came to them, their legs, not, they had the inability to walk. And a mom maybe brought her son or daughter to them and said, he's not well. Can you pray for them? Imagine the pressure, imagine the stress, imagine the anxiety, but amazing things happen as they stepped out in faith. God showed up. And people were set free. There was hope and there was healing and there was repentance. And so much so, we know there was result. We know there was changes because word spread all the way up to King Herod. We can easily think, we can, we can allow, let's not, not allow our minds to dwell on some thoughts. Well, that was for a certain time. They were more qualified. Here, here's something that we can use. They got to walk with Jesus. I'm a little jealous of that one. I'm going to be honest with you. Like that, you know, if I, if I got to hear him and talk and ask some questions and interact with him and see it, okay. We might say, well, they got to do that. That's why they were able to courageously, even before Jesus leaves, do these things. But friends, let's not allow our minds to dwell there, but let's allow our minds to be encouraged to say, I still believe today God wants to do the same thing. And trust you and I, and I'm going to call us ordinary. Ordinary people who at times feel unqualified, untrained, don't know enough. If I knew a little more, if I believed a little more, then I'll start living out my faith. That might have been the mindset of the original readers. Again, we're not the original readers of Mark. A number of years ago, there was a group of followers of Jesus sitting in Rome who were the original readers, most likely the original readers of what we're reading today. 
And they were going through some really hard times. I mean, things were like really bad. I mean, Christians being slaughtered for sport is what, where they, were, what they were living in. And, and maybe in their mindset, you know, we're talking 30 or so years after Jesus lived and died and, and, and rose again and went back to, ascended back to the Father. Some 30 years later, Mark writes this. And so you might think 30 years later, they're thinking, who are we? We're not Peter, James, and John. We're not Bartholomew. We weren't with him. But I believe one of the reasons Mark writes this account right here for us is for them too. To encourage them to say, just like God wanted to extend his mission and message of the kingdom of God through these people then, he still wants to do it today through us here in Rome. And here we sit thousands of years later in Brunswick, Ohio, and you might live here in Brunswick, Medina County, Medina, North Royalton, Strongsville, wherever you call home, Hinkley, you might say, like, I'm okay with coming to church, but allowing God to work through me, an ordinary person to extend who he is to my neighbors and coworkers and friends and family members, that's for someone else. But today, let's be encouraged to say he worked through them, tax collectors, fishermen, and he wants to work through bankers and teachers and students, moms and dads and grandparents. He wants to work through us. It's interesting to me that we have a, uh, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it real quick. Some years later, after Jesus ascended again back to the Father, he's gone, physically gone, not with his disciples anymore. Early in the book of Acts, Peter and John are standing before a, uh, you would call it like a Jewish ruling council, very educated, uh, theologically educated people. They know their stuff. This is what they've done their entire life. And there's some uh, debating between Peter and John and this, this council about what they're doing. And here's the perspective of the council about Peter and John. When they saw the courage, this is the council's perspective, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized they were unschooled they know it. They've never been to the schools we've been to. They haven't devoted the years of study that we have. And they call them ordinary. They're not like us. They would have probably looked at themselves as extraordinary, educated, wise. When they saw the courage of these unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note, this is interesting, they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Let's be encouraged today, friends, to be with Jesus and then to accept this message and mission to live for Jesus through ordinary people like you and I. Mark does something really interesting next. You would think you would talk more about what took place, the results, the stories, the debrief. Like, we'll, we'll get to the debrief. <laughs> the disciples share with Jesus what happened. But Mark inserts a story. He picks up a story that he began all the way back in chapter 1. We were there months ago. In the phrase in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, said this, after John was put in prison. Who's John? Who's John? Come on. 
John the Baptist, right, you got it. So, so back earlier in John, excuse me, Mark, we were introduced to John, John the Baptist. John the Baptist, I kind of get the picture, he looked like one of the guys, one of the brothers or family from Duck Dynasty. Uh, that's just kind of my, I don't know how you visualize John the Baptist, but that's just how I see him. Probably uh, huge beard before they were in, um, just, you know, uh, might not have showered much. Uh, not that those Duck Dynasty guys don't shower much. I don't know. But, um, but just, you know, that's, we, we are told what he wore. We're told he wore a, a camel's hair, which, and, a, and he ate locusts and honey, which was the food of the poor, basically. And his clothing was rough. It, it irritated, it rubbed against your skin. It was rough. This is John the Baptist. He was the forerunner. He was the one who came before Jesus, born shortly before him. And he was the one who told people, he began to preach a message of repentance and, and he called people to be baptized. But, and they said, are you the Messiah? Are you the one we've been waiting for for years? And he said, no. He said, I'm not. There's one coming behind me. And that's Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. That's John the Baptist. So Mark has kind of left us on this cliffhanger. In Mark chapter 1, he said, after John was put in prison, Jesus basically after that begins his ministry. So what Mark does is he picks the story back up here, six chapters or so later. What has been happening to John while he's been in prison? And we learn, and I'll just read the account for us today. King Herod, King Herod was uh, really not a king. Uh, it's interesting that Mark gives him the title king. He wanted to be a king, but he wasn't a king. He never actually received the title of king. Um, he, his dad, this is Herod Antipas. His dad was King Herod, the King Herod who was ruling when Jesus was born. King Herod, when Jesus was born, was paranoid about anyone that would threaten his throne. So much so, he had family members executed because they were a threat. He had friends executed because he thought they were a threat. He built palaces in all sorts of places. In case I got to run for my life, where am I going to go? And we see his paranoia come out when he realizes that a king has been born in Bethlehem. And he tries to get to the king. He tries to manipulate the magi. Come, when you come back, tell me where you found him. So I may go worship him like you. But the Magi warned in a dream, don't go back to Herod, but they uh, go home a different uh, route, a route. And, and, and Herod being paranoid that another, it seems like another king has been born. And again, it's a child. He's so paranoid, you probably know the story, that he sends out his army. And there in Bethlehem, they execute, they kill any boy two years old and younger. Imagine that. Imagine an entire generation of boys wiped out in a moment. What that was like to that community. That's Herod, King Herod. This Herod here in Mark chapter 6, that's his dad. So imagine you grow up. We're all, we're all uh, products to some degree of the family environments we were raised in. So you're, you're growing up in this environment and imagine what that, how that shapes you. So here, king, this Herod, uh, Antipas, is basically a ruler of a quarter of the country. He was really a puppet king. Rome set, up, had set him up. He, he had power, but it was really, uh, uh, he was just a puppet king. He really didn't have much authority, but he was there kind of given a role leading. So he's in charge. So 
King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. For they were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. They're trying to explain, like, what's happening? John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and this is why miraculous powers are at work within him. So that's one explanation. The other is he's Elijah, the Old Testament prophet, who also wore camel's hair and a leather belt and ate the locusts and honey. Maybe it's him. Elijah didn't die. If you don't know the story, it's in 2 Kings. Elijah and Elisha are walking together, and this was like, I mean, I'll tell you what, what a way to go out. All of a sudden, a, f- a flaming chariot comes down, swoops up Elijah, and he's gone. I don't know about you, but that's the way I want to go out. <laughs> flaming chariot any day. But he doesn't die. He just is swooped up and taken up to heaven by this, this flaming chariot. And there's Elijah. Like, where did he go? <laughs> but that's Elijah. They, they, there was this belief that he was going to come back and he was going to return. And the sense even of John the Baptist as he comes in the spirit, if you will, of Elijah. So they're like, maybe it's John the Baptist raised from the dead. Maybe it's Elijah. And still others claim he's, only a, he's a prophet. Think of maybe some of the Old Testament prophets, like the one, uh, the prophets of long ago. But when Herod, so again, Herod is trying to process what's happening, what's going on. When Herod heard this, he said, John, the man I beheaded. Wait a minute, we don't know John's been beheaded yet. John, the man I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. And now we get a sense, the story. Mark fills in the details for us of what what happened to John. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested. He had him bound and put in prison. He did this because because of Herodias. Now, who's Herodias? His brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. Kind of gives you a sense of the family dynamics. Herod, this Herod had other brothers. One of them being Philip. Philip had a wife, Herodias. We don't know all the details, but at some point, this Herod says to his brother Philip or just decides, I want your wife and I'm going to take your wife. And he does away with his other wife or wives. So you see some play there, what's happening there. For John, just John the Baptist, had been saying to Herod, he's been, he, John is aware of this, so he says to Herod, it is not lawful. He's willing to call him out. It's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Herod, this is wrong. John was courageous enough in his prophetic ministry, not just to call those who are maybe of lower economic, uh, economic so- uh, status, like the poor, the peasants, majority of that culture, to repentance, but he was courageous enough even to call the king to repentance. Herod, that's wrong, what you're doing. He called him for what he had seen. He called him on the carpet, so to speak. And it's interesting. So Herodias, again, who's Herod's wife. Um, so Herodias nursed a grudge against John. She hates him for what he's saying. And she wanted to kill him, but she was unable to because Herod feared John. This is so interesting, this relationship. Because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When, John, uh, when Herod heard John, he was, I love this, he was greatly puzzled. I have no idea what you're saying. Yet he liked to listen to him. Keep talking. Such an interesting tension there. I don't get what he's saying, but I like to listen to him anyway. And he protects him. He, uh, probably protects him from his wife, Herodias. Then finally, the opportune time came. 
On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet. Again, it's kind of inside of Herod's soul there. It's his birthday, and he's throwing a party for himself. Come to my party. I'm going to throw a big party. Celebrate me. He invites his uh, officials, high officials, military commanders, and leading men of Galilee. That's where the region he oversaw led. And when the daughter of Herodias came in, so this is a stepdaughter. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. There's some thoughts here of what kind of dance was this. So when it talks about her being a young girl, which it will in a, little, a few verses here, so there's some thought she's about 12, 13 years old. There, there's some thought here that this is a um, sensual type dance that she's performing in front of these men. So that takes place when the daughter of Herodias came in and danced. She pleased the king and his, his dinner guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want. And I'll give it to you. And he promised her an oath. Whatever you ask, I'll give you up to half my kingdom. Now, here's the thing. He didn't have the authority to give away half his kingdom. It wasn't really his kingdom. But he makes this like plea and I'll do whatever you want. She went out and asked her mother, Herodias, what shall I ask for? And this is the opportune time. I don't think uh, Herodias sent her in to do the dance to get this, to dance for those men to get this. But when she came back and said, he's willing to give me whatever I want, she seizes that moment and says, oh, I know what I want you to tell the head of John the Baptist. And at once the girl hurried into the king with the request, I want you to give me right now, immediately, the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was so greatly distressed. Again, he liked John. He wanted to protect John, but he realizes he's, he's said these things in front of his men. He can't be shown, if he says, oh, I'm not going to do that, he'd be seen as weak. He can't be seen as weak. Because of his oath and his dinner guest, he did not want to refuse her, so he immediately sent an executioner with the orders to bring John's head. And the men went out and beheaded John in prison. And he and brought back his head on a platter, and she presented it. He presented it to the girl, on, uh, to the girl, and gave it to her mother. Verse twenty-nine. On hearing this, John's disciples came and took his body, and laid in the tomb. Why, why in the world does Mark insert this story right here? He could have put it anywhere. He could have left it out. He could have put it back earlier in Mark. But why? I believe Mark places this story in the midst of the disciples, again, being sent out by Jesus to help the original readers in Rome and us who sit here today to know what they and we should expect as we partner with what God is doing to bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. He, he wants to help the disciples and he wants to help you and I. And he wanted to help those original readers in Rome. Like, if I'm going to do this, what are some things I need to expect? Now, I'm not saying all of our ends is going to be like John the Baptist, but I believe what he's trying to help us understand with inserting this story right here in this context is to help us understand again that there is a mystery to the ways of the kingdom of God. There's a mystery to the ways of the kingdom of God. Just put, try to put ourselves in the shoes of John's disciples. John, verse 29. On hearing this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid him in the tomb. 
You have to believe they prayed that he'd be freed. You have to believe they prayed that Herod wouldn't hurt him. You have to believe John prayed. I'm sure he didn't want to stay in prison. But he's not released. And instead of his disciples hearing and praising God because of a release, they're ushered into his cell and they pick up his body and they lay it in a tomb. It's amazing to me the tensions in this text. We just read about the disciples going and setting people free and healing people. And now there's grief and there's death and there's loss in the same like chapter. And I believe what this highlights for all of us is the mystery, the ways of the kingdom of God. Yes, they will move forward, but sometimes in moving forward, there is going to be pain and there's going to be suffering. There's going to be tragedy. The way forward is not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be easy for the disciples. It's not always going to be easy for those living in Rome. And it's not always going to be easy for you and I today. What we're being invited into is at times not a pleasant road. But there's a God who walks with us in the midst of it. And there's a God who says there is coming a day where my kingdom will fully come and there'll be a new heaven and new earth. But we need to embrace the mystery some things just won't make sense. We sang, I'm not skilled to understand what God has willed and what God has planned. We're not. I'm sure this left a sense of mystery. Like, what? This is John the Baptist. He's one of the key players. Like, why would this happen? We have to live within right now this time period, the sense of mystery as we join God in what he's doing. I'm going to invite the worship team forward and we're going to, in a moment, saying eight years ago, I, uh, I worked a part-time job for about a year and a half. Uh, I was working for a local company actually here in town called Home Appliance. Uh, some of you maybe have done business with them. And, and so I, for about a year and a half, I delivered appliances uh, part-time, a few days a week. And when we went out to do deliveries, whatever it was, fridge, washer, dryer, stove, whatever it was, Sometimes, many times, those deliveries would go well and smooth and everything would go right. But there were times those deliveries didn't go well. It was the wrong product. It was damaged. It, we damaged the house. Sometimes it didn't go right. And it's interesting when, though, when, it, when it went well and when it didn't go well, it really didn't come back on us, the delivery crew. But it came back on the company whose name was on our shirts. We were representing them. Wherever we went, whatever home we went into, whatever neighborhood we went into, we were representing that company. We were they're an extension of them in those places. And today, I just want to remind all of us, we might not wear the name of Jesus on a shirt, although you might have a shirt that has the name of Jesus. I don't know. But if you are a follower of his, you wear his name on your life. And wherever you go this week, you're an extension of him, his character, his nature, his essence. You are showing, we have the privilege, we've been invited to show people what God is like. And this week, for some of us, we might see the victories. 
He might see a heart turn. We might see someone set free. It might not be demonic oppression, but it might be shame. It might be guilt. It might be wounds. But we have a chance to enter a hard situation and see someone set free. It might be healing. And again, it might be physical in nature, but it might not be physical in nature. But we, we've been invited into this, and we have an opportunity to come alongside someone and see healing take place in their life. And there might be some of us this week that as we seek to follow God, it might be challenging. This week, we heard from some friends from uh, when I went to college, uh, just heard some incredibly tragic news in their life, tragic loss in their life this week. The mystery, the kingdom of God. Let's live in that tension this week and embrace what we've been invited into.